Strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show. KTAR News, 92.3 FM and the KTAR News app. Hey, thanks for being here. If you have not subscribed to the Mike Broomhead Show podcast, please do it. Very simple to do on any device that you have. It's easy to do, easy to listen to, listen at your convenience, never miss a minute of the show. The Mike Broomhead Show podcast this week brought to you by Carol Royce, Keller Williams Realty East Valley. Get a higher price selling your home. Get guaranteed offers. Go to higherprice.com. It's higherprice.com. Thought this topic was interesting. I want to get into the topic in a moment, but I forgot earlier this morning to thank a bunch of people. I want to thank everybody here at KTAR News. I want to thank uh, Christy Hayden from the Wildlife World Zoo Aquarium and Safari Park. I want to thank the Arizona Cardinals for Big Red and a couple of cheerleaders being out with us and the Phoenix Suns and the Phoenix Suns Gorilla being with us um, at the Red and Blue Day at the zoo on Saturday. We had a great day. A lot of families showed up, first responder families to just have a great day in the perfect weather to enjoy the time with each other and um I just wanted to say thank you to the, especially to Christy and everybody at Wildlife World Zoo, uh, because they just, they roll out the red carpet for these families and it was such a great day. Just to say thank you to the men and women that serve. We had a bunch of people come out. It was a terrific day. And, uh, we, I think there are some pictures online of the, of the event and I know there were a bunch shared on social media. So a big thank you to them for what they did. And I'm sorry I didn't do that earlier on the show. Um, I just saw an interesting headline, and I just thought about everything. Everything changes. We understand how things change. As attendance dips, churches change to stay relevant in a new wave of worshipers. And um, just like everything else, so I wonder – if you look at how people have changed, the attention span has changed, the way we consume things have changed. I, I have a friend named Rob who's a pastor for a senior pastor for a long time, and uh, he used to come on the show fair, fairly frequently during COVID-19 and talk about the challenges because a church congregation, what a church does in the worship on Sunday morning and a lot of other things that they do on you know Wednesday nights and, and, and uh, um, Awana and, and all the other things that happen that were put on hold. And... Um, it was interesting to talk with people in that world because we know restaurants had to change and other aspects of our lives had to change. But how were churches staying relevant then? And what they learned was a lot of stuff was done online, that they would broadcast their services on Facebook and other platforms so that uh, people – normally that would be for shut-ins. That would be normally people that could not get out, but they were able to go um, and watch online. They had more people watching their Easter service online than they had in attendance, I believe, in one of those years. So I think what COVID-19 taught them was there are so many other ways to reach people. I know that one of the things, one of the um, ideals of a church is that you you want to make sure that if you want parents to come to church, make sure you're catering to their children's needs. And that's always a big deal. Um and this is what uh, what I think is going to make this a, a, an easier transition because we're seeing a lot of things done virtually. People are working from home. People are worshiping from home. But here's the catch. The idea of worship on a Sunday morning or a Saturday, depending on what faith you are um, – is done as they call it corporate worship that, you know, it's supposed to be a time where you gather together and lean on each other and it kind of rejuvenate and, and kind of, you know, kind of pump each other up for the rest of the week. And there is a church family. How hard is that if everything is being done online? But I thought this was an interesting look at what churches are doing. Does it also have to do with people as they as the younger generations, every generation, it seems, has a lower percentage of faithful people? How dangerous is that to a society in the minds of some? You know, as 
a, as a nation, we are a theistic nation. We are not a theocracy, but we are a theistic nation. We have always recognized a creator. It's interesting. One of the stories that I didn't talk about when I talked about education had to do with a school teacher, I believe in Pembroke Pines, Florida, who shut down Muslim prayers of students who were praying. You know, if they pray five times a day and um, the teacher said something and I'm, I, it's, I'm kind of misquoting, but basically the quote in here from a teacher was that they they uh, believe in Jesus. So they were shutting down this prayer. And I thought that is the most un-American thing I've ever heard of. Um and so I don't want to get down the long the long road of of you know radical and what people do in the name of religion because that's what gives faith a bad name. It isn't about a religion, you know, but we understand there's a difference between faith and a religion. That there are people in our country, the Westboro Baptist Church, I taught at a Baptist church. They they say they're a Baptist church just like the church that I attended and taught at for years, but they were so diametrically opposed to anything I was ever taught out of the Bible or that I ever taught anybody in an adult Bible study. They didn't even it didn't even appear that we were reading from the same book. They were interpreting scripture so much differently than anyone I ever heard. And it was it, it was it was horrible to hear the, the the they were using their horrible attitude was being defended by what they read in the pages of the same book I read. So when it comes to radical Islam and what we saw happen in terrorist attacks and what people are doing in the name of their religion, you can see stuff like that all over the world. But what we've done in this country is we gave people the freedom to practice their faith and worship any way they want to or not at all if they don't want to. No one is punished because they're an atheist in this country. No one is punished because they are one religion or another, one faith or another. And I think that's part of the beauty of who we are as a nation, recognizing a creator, but also giving everybody the freedom, making sure they have a right to worship any way they want to, and not punishing someone because they don't agree with ours. But what they're dealing with now is a decrease in attendance, but also a decrease in faithfulness, which I found interesting because you would think in times get tough, people usually run to churches. In the wake of 9-11, which we just brought up, I remember churches being open 24 hours a day. And you go into a church on a Tuesday afternoon, and there'd be five or six or ten people in there praying and people coming in and out all day because of the unknown. People seem to flock back to their faith. It's been a rough few years. And you would think that the, that this would be a community that would be doing the same thing again. And I just thought it was an interesting take on what people are doing when it comes to faith. And it's it's uh, it's interesting. American Christianity is in the midst of an identity crisis. Uh, attendance is in steep decline, especially among millennials and Gen Z who say traditional church doesn't speak to their realities. So that should be that should be a big sign. Um, for anybody of faith out there. I just thought it was an interesting angle. We've talked about how it's changed business. We've talked about how it's changed schools. But how has it changed the way we worship or if we worship? That was I thought that was an interesting take. Um, in a moment, we're going to go back to Senator Cinema. Bernie Sanders was talking about Senator Cinema over the weekend and what he had to say about her. Very interesting take. We're going to talk about that coming up in just a couple of moments.
strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. Hey, thanks so much for being here over the weekend. The conversation's beginning as soon as uh, Senator Kirsten Sinema announced that she was changing her party affiliation to independent or um, or other from uh, from the Democratic Party, Democrats speaking out against it. Uh, but there are a lot of positive responses. Now, what's interesting about this is it's really too early for anybody to have a definitive opinion of what this means. We all have um, opinions what we think it means, but until we start seeing the direction that everybody goes with this, what happens with Senator Cinema, what's going to happen with the committees that she's on, what she's able to accomplish, the White House came out and said it's not going to change anything for them and how they've worked with the senator on different pieces of legislation. I had um, Danny Seiden on with me this morning. Uh, talking about uh, Governor-elect Hobbs here in Arizona and how he feels that she is already saying the right things about moving our economy in the, in the right direction. He sees that as a positive. Um, they have always had a good rapport with Senator Sinema at the Chamber of Commerce that she has shown herself to be fairly business-friendly in a lot of the decisions that she made. What's interesting about this whole conversation is um, – the senator and I don't agree on a lot of things politically necessarily, but I definitely had to do my mea culpa because Senator Sinema was 100 percent right and I was 100 percent wrong about her when she said she was going to be independent like Arizona. Now, independent like Arizona doesn't mean she's going to change her political leanings in a lot of areas. But when the one of the big changes that almost happened in the United States Senate was the ending of the filibuster, what that would have done to the landscape of the United States Senate would have been devastating. Stating. They call the Senate the saucer that cools the drink, and every party uses it. The Democrats did not end up losing the majority in the United States Senate, but if they had, as it was predicted, they would have used the filibuster. And it gives the minority party an ability because what ends up happening is this, and we've watched this happen. If you think about this, I've gone through the progression of these things over the over the last decades. You know, Jimmy Carter brought us Ronald Reagan. Ronald Reagan had Bush 41 for four years, but then Bush 41 gave us Bill Clinton for eight years. Bill Clinton for eight years gave us George W. Bush for eight years. That pendulum swinging back and forth. President Bush gave us President Obama. President Obama gave us President Trump. President Trump gave us President Biden. That pendulum swings back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. When you see the changes that are made politically where the Republicans have held both the House and the Senate, sometimes it's been split. The Democrats have had both. If there isn't the ability for the minority party somewhere because you have a simple majority in the United States House of Representatives, meaning one vote wins it over. You have a one-seat majority, you control everything, and all you need is a one-vote majority, and you win everything. If it were the same way in the United States Senate, we would see these dramatic shifts in policy like we see with executive orders out of the White House. So that's where instead of having these big swings based on who's in power, why wouldn't you want to have a system where you have the ability as the minority party to slow things down and stand up against something that you think is absolutely awful? Because your party is going to want to use it when you're not in power and it continues to happen. So I want you to hear Bernie Sanders is a very short clip, but Bernie Sanders was asked if Senator Cinema would stand up to big special interest. And here was his reply. 
She is a corporate Democrat who has, in fact, along with Senator Manchin, sabotaged enormously important legislation. So it's interesting to hear him use that verbiage, that kind of language, because he is someone that was asked a question about standing up to special interest. So when it's something that you agree with and somebody sides with you, you're standing up to special interest. When you stand up against something you don't believe in, like the filibuster, you're sabotaging important pieces of legislation. That seems to be a pretty man. That's that. That is a pretty jaded view of things. You know, I don't. I don't agree. And it's interesting because I, at the times that I've been around Senator Cinema when she was in the House, um, we did a couple of veterans events together. And there's something that you think, you know, this is the perfect thing where both parties should be on board with this. Anything that would help the men and women that have served this country. And uh, she was well-respected by the veteran community in her district because she did work very hard on veteran causes. And I would see her at events all the time. I'd be the MC, She'd be one of the speakers. We would talk backstage. It was always a a very um, good conversation. But we also understood that there were key things we disagreed on. The one thing we never were were, was disagreeable. And she had the ability to be able to stand her ground on what she believed in. But I find it interesting, much like we're seeing in politics today in America, it is your side of the aisle that really is the most harsh toward you when you disagree with them. And it's almost insulting to people when you disagree with them. You know, if you come out like I did and say, I don't like the way the audit was done. I thought it was too partisan. I thought it was too one-sided. I didn't think it accomplished anything. It should have been an opportunity for uh, evidence to come out about our elections and what's right and what's wrong and what needs to change. And what we ended up with was a lot more questions and answers and looking for bamboo and papers. And they went in with a predisposed idea. They already thought that the election was stolen. They said that before they started the audit. That doesn't give people any confidence and impartiality. They let a documentary crew in. When you go down that list of items, you get alienated by people because people in your own party get insulted. And then you're no longer part of them. Now you're someone that needs to leave. You're someone that needs to get out of town. Well, you're seeing the same thing happen to a certain degree to Senator Cinema. She stood up and said, I don't agree with you on this issue. If you look at the way she's voted, she's voted the vast majority of the time. She's voted with President Biden on things. But where she stepped out of line... How dare you? And I think it's a sign of things to come. I think you're going to see a lot more people deciding that they are going to cast themselves as an independent, saying that I agree with my party. And I don't know that she would say her party anymore, but I agree with one party or the other a lot more often than not. But there are certain areas that I'm not going to give up. And if you want to be a part of that party, you've got to give that up. And we'll see who wins this. We will see who wins out on this conversation because it's not it's far from over. We're going to jump back to the uh, the candidates in the elections in just a moment because both Carrie Lake and Abe Hamaday have filed lawsuits in the elections. This is exactly what's supposed to be happening. So we will talk about what is happening, what they're asking for, and possibly how quickly we can get answers to all of this. We'll talk about it all next.
strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. Another quick reminder about the podcast. If you aren't subscribed to the Mike Broomhead Show podcast, do it right now. It's very simple on any device you have. Never miss a minute of the show. Listen at your convenience. And this week, the Mike Broomhead Show podcast brought to you by Carol Royce, Keller Williams Realty, East Valley. Get higher price selling your home. Get guaranteed cash offers. Go to higherprice.com. That's higherprice.com. Um, let's. I want to talk about the elections because we are now starting to see some of the challenges coming to a head with both Carrie Lake alleging intentional, mis- intentional misconduct in lawsuits seeking to overturn the election. And um, the candidate Abe Hamaday, the candidate for attorney general, wants to eliminate some votes and add others in a new election lawsuit trying to overturn things in Maricopa County. So just a little bit from the Carrie Lake um, filing lawsuit, like a former television news anchor, first time candidate for office has signaled four weeks. She would file a legal challenge over the election, which saw her fall by 0.7 percentage points or about 17,000 votes. Now, again, everything up until now has been speculation. Um, the late campaign and the people that believe that the election was stolen are speculating as to how that happened. And people on the other side of this are speculating why she lost. And so this is the way this is the way we are supposed to do things with our election. This is how the system is supposed to work. File your lawsuit, submit your evidence. Let's everybody take a look at the evidence and let's whatever the decision is made at the end of it, let's abide by it and let's move on to 2024. But what are the chances that happens? What are the chances that that actually is what is going to happen? Because there are those that believe it. I mean, there are people that just believe it should just be redone, that we should just whether the the law allows for it or not, we should just have another election. How would that be fair? Uh, There are other people that think we should just move on and not pay any attention to any of this. How is that fair? I mean, if you're Abe Hamaday, who only lost by a few hundred votes. And there is a mandatory recount that's happening. If you are Abe Hamaday, who fell by 511 votes, there were two and a half million votes cast, plus more than two and a half million votes cast in this election statewide. And you lost by 511 votes. And we had the problems we had on Election Day in Maricopa County. You don't think that he should challenge in any way. He should just move on. That, that's that's ridiculous. Now, again, I don't believe the elections were stolen. I don't believe that there was cheating that was done to the extent that anybody could change the, uh, the how the election turned out. I don't think that anything that was done in Maricopa County was intentional, although that's one of the challenges from the late campaign, which is said there was intentional misconduct. So, again, the burden of proof is on their side to prove that. If they have evidence of it, I'll be happy to talk about it here on the air. Not speculation, not what ifs, not if this happened, this had to happen, and what about this? And what about that? If there is evidence of wrongdoing, then I I honestly believe that anybody who is messing with elections to any degree, you know, the the woman down in southern Arizona that was ballot harvesting only a few votes should go to jail. If you are doing anything that is messing with our elections intentionally to change the results of an election or to skew an election, you should be held accountable. If there's evidence of it. Bring it forward. But for anybody out there that says we should just move on, no, what we should do is stop the conjecture. It's over now. There's not going to be any more conjecture. The lawyers are going to bring in their evidence. 
the elections officials are going to defend themselves and the courts are going to decide which direction we go. And the people should be able to see and believe what the evidence is. I talked earlier about the uh, the audit that happened here in Arizona. That was the problem with the audit. There was no way that anybody was going to believe that that was impartial. You had the cyber ninjas who may have been good in their lane. They may have been great at what they do. I don't know what they did, but they never had done an audit like this. No one had ever done an audit like this, but they were not election auditors. And the head of the cyber ninjas said months, months, months before that he believed that the election was rigged and he could prove it. They let in a documentary crew that were already believers that the election was stolen, and they used their video footage inside of that audit as a part of their election proof that the elections were stolen, which is all well and good. You're entitled to feel that way. But if you are someone that is supposed to be impartial, if you are supposed to be impartial, as a matter of fact, just to show you how ironic that whole thing was, if you you may remember – the head of the cyber ninjas petitioned the judge to recuse himself from a case because the judge had said something derogatory about him specifically in another case, which he, they said, you're now impartial. You can't be impartial after the things you said about me. There's no way you can be impartial. You should recuse yourself. That coming from someone who said months before the audit that he knew that the election was stolen and could prove it and yet wanted us to believe he was impartial in the way he approached the audit. I said all of those things because I thought an audit should be done where all of us get to see an e- evidence. And what's good about that for both sides of the aisle is you figure out during an audit like that where you're good and where you're bad, what you do well and what you need to improve on. And everybody lay it all out on the table. This is what we do. This is how we do it. This is where we're strong. This is where we're weak. This is where if we're going to be compromised, this is where we might be compromised. How do we shore this up? And instead, we were looking for bamboo and papers and running things under black lights and chasing our tail in that way. So, you know, when you look at what happened in the election and you're I'm telling you that I have relationships with a lot of people that firmly believe that the 2020 election was stolen. But we never did anything to get us to a point where we said, "Okay, whether we agree or disagree, we've got to move on. It never happened. So here we come with the 2022 election, and we're still talking about 2020. We have to learn our lessons. These cases should go to court. They should have their day in court. They deserve their day in court. Their judges should have all the time afforded to them to lay out their case as to wrongdoing. And then we should look at the evidence and see what it tells us. And if the evidence comes out and there is no evidence or the evidence doesn't prove any evidence they present doesn't prove anything, then we put a period at the end of the court hearings. When it's over, we certify the elections. We move forward. And we're done and we move on to 2024. But in this perpetual denial, this perpetual, I didn't get my way this time, so I'm going to keep going. Get it up to the Supreme Court. Get it to the Supreme Court. Get it over with so that everybody can see the evidence. If there is evidence, show us. And then let's move on. Let's fix it if there's a problem. And if there isn't, if there isn't evidence there to prove wrongdoing, especially intentional misconduct, then we have to put a period and move on to 2024. So let's see. I'm anxious to see how it turns out. In a moment, uh, we got to talk about the border. The latest, the governor of our state is accused of illegal dumping. 
because of the shipping containers. We'll talk about that coming up in just a couple of moments. Strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM and the KTAR News app. So I found this to be interesting. There is a sheriff down in southern Arizona, a Santa Cruz County Sheriff David Hathaway, who has actually been on KTR News recently, I believe, um, says that he doesn't believe that there is an invasion at the southern border. Um, he said there is an area where they're placing containers is entirely on federal land, on national forest land. It's not state land. It's not private land. And the federal government has said that this is illegal activity. So just the way if I saw somebody doing an assault or a homicide or a vehicle theft on public land within my county, I would charge that person with a crime. Um, but if it's on federal land, how is it? A, is it your per, your jurisdiction? Um, don't you have to be asked by the federal government? See, there was a big a big lawsuit years ago during the Clinton administration that had to do with gun laws and background checks. And it was a it was a sheriff from the state of Arizona who actually went all the way to the Supreme Court saying that the federal government cannot uh, compel local law enforcement to enforce federal laws. That if you want to do background checks, you can't force a local sheriff to do that. Do your own background checks. And he won. He won the case saying that the federal government cannot compel local jurisdictions to enforce federal laws. Now, there is a mass amount of court and there is a history of cooperation operation in many areas. The example I would use is let's say you are uh, you know people are leasing federal land and you will trespass on that lease. Local law enforcement can enforce that if asked to. Can you go in and remove people whatever. Um but in this case, I just find it immensely ironic because the next – this is the headline. Arizona GOP governor accused of illegal dumping over the border wall effort over the shipping containers. Here's the next headline I have in the stack of, of, uh, of stories. Texas sees over 2,500 migrants cross the border in a mere 24-hour span. How do the two of those coexist? And this is, again, where this is fascinating to me, because when you look at what's happening at the border, to say that there is not a problem and to say it's not worse than ever means you're either blind or lying. And he's the sheriff in a border town, so he's not blind. This is this is pure and simple goes against what everybody sees is happening at the southern border. And here's a couple of other things that I just thought would be interesting. Cuba's declining economy prompts historic migration to the U.S. This is another thing that happened during the Obama administration that I disagreed with was the normalization of relations between the U.S. and Cuba, our government and theirs. And it was I thought it was a huge mistake. The Cuban government still treats their people um, badly. They still oppress their people. There are limits on what they can say and when they can say it. They don't have the freedom of speech. Their economy has always been bad. And all this great free health care that they have there is nothing but a farce when you hear how the how the Cuban health care system actually works. Um, but here is an interesting one that goes to the other side of this. Nearly one million adults became a U.S. citizen this past year. That's an amazing number. 
Here we are in our society where we are starved for a workforce in many places, especially here in Arizona and many industries, where there are people that are clamoring to come to America and we are welcoming people. Even as messed up as our immigration system is, there are people that are still becoming naturalized as citizens in this country, and it's something we should celebrate. We have got to always make a distinction between illegal and legal immigration. The reason why we're fighting about shipping containers, the reason why we are seeing um, people furious about the traffic at our southern borders and the drugs that are coming across and everything else is because of illegal immigration. We can't pay attention to legal immigration. We can't talk about the great success stories of people that come here and in one generation embrace the American dream, watching their children grow up in the U.S. and become citizens, watching their grandchildren be born as U.S. citizens, that is an amazing accomplishment for people. Home ownership, car ownership, ownership of your own path in life. And we should celebrate those million people. But what about the millions that come here, the hundreds of thousands every year that are coming here, these people that are crossing the border and we don't know who they are. We, we aren't tracking them properly. We aren't making sure they have a legitimate claim to come into this country. They're doing it the wrong way. They get all the attention. And it shouldn't be this way. And I would think it would be very funny, and I don't know how this administration would ever try to pull it off. There have got to be people that are watching the optics, that as little attention has been paid to the border by this administration. The vice president has been charged with fixing the border situation, which she's done nothing to fix. Wouldn't it be fascinating if the one move that they made, the one significant move they made at the southern border of the United States would be to somehow enforce the law and throw Arizona's shipping containers off of federal land. Wouldn't that be interesting? I I just think that would be, I I can't imagine what the optics of that would look like. But Texas, 2,500 people in one day. You can't say that there's not a crisis. You cannot say that this is not something that's worse than we've ever seen. We all should be upset about this. We all should be upset We all should be demanding that our government fix this problem as much for us as it is for the people that are coming. I'll I'll wrap it with this. This is more proof that the only people that are benefiting from this are the cartels, not the Mexican government, not the U.S. government, not border towns on either side of the southern border, not the people that are being trafficked. None of them are benefiting from this. The only beneficiaries of the way this is being handled are the cartels, and we should be ashamed of ourselves for fostering it, period. Just after 11 o'clock, we had an interesting conversation with Danny Seiden. Danny is the chairman or the CEO of the Arizona Chamber of Commerce and Industry. He had a lot to say about the direction of Arizona's economy, where we are, and where he believes we are headed. We'll talk about it next.